0: Well, welcome to Church Crosswalk, and not just Crosswalk this week, but everyone who has decided to come and worship with us. We can't believe how many people worshiped with us last week. It was over 10,000 people through all of our different streams on both Facebook and YouTube. And the coolest part about that is not that those numbers are great, even though we love it, but what we're excited about is that we can be a resource for people who can't Go physically to their church. We also understand that not every church that is out there has a streaming option. And so some of you are missing your church, you're missing your communities. So what we want you to do is make sure that all your friends and all your family can connect with you. So if you wanna start a viewing party on Facebook and invite your friends so you guys can comment, you can make fun of the sermon, whatever you guys wanna do, it's absolutely fine. We just wanna be a resource and a digital community for you. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this with all the people that you know so we can continue to grow the kingdom of God in the Midst of these crazy times. And the truth is, these are crazy times? Who could have known that two weeks ago we would be here? It's just uh, it's just amazing the, the way this whole thing has evolved. And we want to recognize that. I mean, it's interesting. We put this series called Awakening together um, months ago, uh, honestly, almost a year ago when we started thinking about what we would do as we moved up to Easter. And we called this series Awakening because we believe that God is waking us up to something. However, I I don't know about you, but right now it feels like we're waking up to something that's so scary every single day. But you know, it's all right because we have been offered something. We have been offered peace. We haven't been offered, you know, circumstances that are peaceful, obviously, but we've been offered peace amidst a storm. And we've been offered peace when there is no peace around us. And, And I love... Some of the words that come to us in John 14, where Christ says, listen, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. You see, Jesus was clear on what he was promising people while he was here. He says, if you love me, you'll follow me. You'll do greater works than me even, and these things are promised by the Holy Spirit. But then he continues in verse 26. He says, but when the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit is my representative he will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything I've told you. And have you ever noticed how God brings back those things just when you need them? Those things that you learned when you were little, those things that you learned as you continue to grow in faith, God brings them back at just the right time for just the right moment and just the right words. And then Jesus says this in 1427, he says, listen, I'm leaving you a gift Peace of mind and heart. And I love the way that the New Living Translation says that. He says, I'm giving you a gift, the peace of mind and heart. The peace I give you is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. You see, this is what God is leaving us through the Holy Spirit. We find peace, but it's not a peace that the world gives. So let's ask this question. What is the difference between the peace that the world gives and the peace that God gives? And I think it's a relevant question. There's at least three differences. There's probably a thousand differences, but there's three differences. So let's take a look at them. The first one is that the world's peace is situational. That means both sides have to agree for it to happen. Ceasefires, peace agreements, these kinds of things that lead us to peace. It's not something that can just come from one side. Both people have to agree. But God's peace, God's peace is not contingent on situation, We can find peace and live with God's peace, regardless of what is happening outside of our doors. It is a peace of heart. Now, the world's peace is always external. It means it comes from something else, but this is the same almost as what I said before. Not exactly, but it's a peace that is placed on us. And the difference between the world's peace being external is that God's peace is internal. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and it is born from within. We don't look for it. It is in us, and it informs us. And, and the truth is, number three, the world can fall out of peace. Cease fires cease, right? Worlds collide, and things get worse, But God's peace cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away because it doesn't come from anywhere but the Holy Spirit who guides us into all peace. Now, we have to understand that peace and tranquility, those are two different things. We look at a person sitting by the brook or by the ocean contemplating and we think, oh, that's tranquility. That's peaceful. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be peaceful. But the peace we're talking about is bigger than just tranquility. It's peace amidst the storm. It's peace when things are terrible. And Paul gives gives us the greatest example of this. In Philippians, we see Paul in one of his worst situations with some of his deepest peace that he ever expresses. And it's the book of Philippians. You know it. There's four chapters. I mention it all the time. If you're new here, you know I love the book of Philippians. Because the book of Philippians is this positive book that he writes in the midst of some of the worst situations that he's in. He's in the Mamertine prison. It's essentially the, uh, the, the sewer system of Rome. And he's there. If someone didn't bring him food, nobody's gonna take care of him. And this is what he writes in Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. And he says, I say it again, rejoice. We've written songs about that, right? Remember, he's in a prison. But he says, listen, no matter the situation, always be full of joy. In other words, be overflowing with joy. And he says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. So even in the midst of this, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of all the strife and all the struggle and the things that you're uncomfortable with, you still can be considerate in all you do. Now, this is pertinent to us right now, because if you went to go get toilet paper last week, right, you can't find any. And there's anxiety, and that raises the level of fear that we have. And, and, you know, of course, on the internet, there's all these pictures of people fighting over toilet paper. I get it. Um, But... But in Philippians, Paul is saying, listen, be considerate in all that you do. Even in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this craziness, we are not to succumb to it. We are not to lose our humanity in it. Be considerate. And then he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything that's there. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And that means that you're thanking him for the things that he will do. The fact that he will give you that peace is important. And I I get it, you know, these kind of sound like cliches, right? But from where Paul was, this is a statement of great faith. And it's important that we understand that sometimes God is in control of things that we don't know, that we can't control ourselves. And then it says this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and guard your minds as you live in Jesus Christ. You see, This is the promise that we might need to hold on to through all of this. A peace that transcends understanding, a peace that transcends all this craziness. This is where the rubber of faith meets the road of hardship and chaos. This is where we are going to have to try and live with God's help. I don't know how long, you know, social distancing is going to have to happen. Even isolation, some of us may go in lockdown in order to take care of what is happening here. If you can hear this, you can actually hear the helicopters flying over, going to our healthcare system right next to us. Listen, This is the reality we're living in now, and it's different than we've ever been before, but there's got to be peace in the midst of it, a peace that transcends, and it's not gonna come from what our government says. It's not gonna come from what our healthcare systems say. It's gonna have to come from Jesus. And it's gonna have to transcend the situation that we find ourselves in. This is easy to say at the beginning. It will be harder to say as this goes on and on. And we don't know how long it's gonna go. We don't know how long we're gonna have to live this way. I tell you what, though, I cannot wait for the moment we get to come back to church. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like to hold hands with the people next to you? To raise your hands in praise to God? To hear the incredible amount of voices singing loud back at you? We are just so ready for that moment. I mean, we've, we've missed church for one week and we want it to be over. We wanna come back to church this week. We know it's gonna be a few weeks and I, and I have fear that it will go on. And listen, if, if you're new to Crosswalk, we are so appreciative of you joining us. One, this little pitch, one thing, continue to give money to your church. Because we don't want our churches to die. The second thing is, if you could find it in a way to, you know, throw a couple extra dollars towards Crosswalk as we create this content for you, we'd be blessed by that too. That's not the point of this. I just want to deal in the reality. We know economic hardship is coming. We know things are difficult. But we also know that, and believe in the abundance of God. If there's 10,000 of you, if you all gave a buck, man, that'd be amazing. Then we'd cover our expenses for the week. And so on and so on. You know how that math goes. But I'm not gonna sit there because that's not the point of this sermon. What I want you to know is this. We believe in the abundance of God and we believe in a peace that lives in that abundance no matter what it is we are going through. And that's not simple. That's not easy. We don't expect it to be. We understand that we're gonna struggle through it, especially as this thing goes as long as it goes. But I know this, man, the community of Christ can come together. We can do it in a powerful way. We can do it in a beautiful way. And we can be, as I said last week, the light in the tunnel when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And the reason we can do that is because of what we've actually been studying in this series guide, because we've been studying the cross of Christ. And today we look at two different passages. We're gonna look at John 19, 28 and 29, and we're also gonna look at Matthew 27, 45 through 53. And by the way, these texts, as as difficult as they are, should be able to give us some really deep peace. So let's jump in right now. We're looking at John 1928. Here at Crosswalk, we read from the New Living Translation. It's not because it's better, honestly. It's because it was in the chairs when I got here, and so we began to study from it, and I've really fallen in love with it. But Jesus now, we, we, we obviously jump into Jesus on the cross, and we're getting towards the end of that particular narrative. As we, This is now, I believe, our fourth week in this series Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, and this is, you know, he wants wants people to know that he's fulfilling the scripture that was given given so many years before. He says, listen, I'm thirsty. And if Jesus knew his mission was finished, let's take a look at that for just a moment. Jesus knew he had accomplished his work. So what was that work? Well, that work was the mission of Jesus, what we call the Missio Dei. And it comes to us from Luke 4, where he's preaching in his old hometown, and he picks up the Isaiah scroll, and he begins to read, and he says, listen, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, mercy for prisoners. I've come to proclaim healing and declaring that the Lord is for us. He calls it, you know, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord is for us. And then he had done it all, so he recognized that it was finished. And, and, and the rest of what he was going to accomplish, especially that last part that God is for us, he was going to accomplish on the cross. He recognized that this changed everything, and he recognized that he had done the work that God brought him here to do. Now, I got a question for you, and it's this. How can this change your perspective? The fact that Jesus finished the work on the cross is the thing that should give us courage, and it should give us peace. We are saved because of the work that Jesus did in his life and certainly on the cross. So let me ask you one more question, because sometimes we function like this. Was he almost finished? Nope. Nowhere in scripture does it say that he was almost done. Rather, the truth of his accomplishments is seen in his people in the way that we love the peace we can muster through the Holy Spirit in this difficult time and the faith we have in his completed work. And I want you to understand his work was completed on the cross. What he did for us sealed the deal for us. Some of us come from a faith tradition where it feels like Jesus almost saved us. He almost got it done. But if we could just finish the work, you know, then things would be okay. But that's not what scripture says. Jesus recognized that his mission was finished. He had accomplished what he came to do. And so he called out to fulfill prophecy saying he's thirsty John 19, 29, it says a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put it in a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. This is to fulfill the scripture, which, by the way, comes from Psalm 22. And we're gonna spend more time talking about Psalm 22 next week. Actually, not next week. In just a bit, we're gonna get there. I've been writing a few sermons in in preparation for all this. I'll just own it. I'll just own that. Anyway, now we move on to the most distressing of times. The, the, take, the text takes a turn for the worse, and we're jumping over to Matthew 27 for a broader look at these final moments. To be sure, this is one of the most distressing things that we can ever imagine. It says this, Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And I got lots of thoughts on this, and there are lots of thoughts on it out there. You know, some people say it was just this long eclipse that happened, or was it something else I think it was, and I believe it was heaven crying out knowing that the end was near. At about three o'clock, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic, and it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these are important words. They come from Psalm 22 again, and perhaps even Psalm 29. And Jesus cries them out in Aramaic, and the author wants us to know the words in Aramaic so that it cannot be mistaken. He wants us to know exactly what was said. How have people explained that Jesus would cry? out in the middle of his anguish he would cry out my God my God why have you forsaken me so they've done some funny things with it if you want to know the truth one of the things that they've done is they said that it's random singing and I don't know how they can say that it's random singing I think that's just weird you know what I mean was Psalm 22 this popular song that everybody would sing I don't think so um so I don't think random singing is a good explanation Number two, people say that it was a cry of victory, and that's just weird because it feels exactly the opposite of a cry of victory. And so some people, some commentators have actually said, no, 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 what Jesus was doing was crying out in victory, saying, my God, my God. And I don't know how the second part fits in. It just doesn't really. So it's just weird. Again, it can't be too much. There's just too many gymnastics that we have to do. A little later on, the Gnostics their view on this was that only the human part was crying out, but the divine part was not crying out because they put a hard separation, a hard line between the two. And heresy had already slipped in by the time they began to think this. They, they, they believed it was the division of natures that moved him away so his humanity could cry out, but his divinity did not have any such doubts. But for this to make any sense, I guess we have to recognize that this is a true cry of dereliction, In fact, Ellen White, in chapter 78 of The Desire of Ages, says that Jesus could not see beyond the portals of the tomb. He couldn't see where his his resurrection at that moment. Now, sometimes people get a little worried about that because they feel kind of concerned that, you know, what do you mean Jesus couldn't see? I don't know. When you carry the weight of the world, can you function properly? Can you reasonably reason through all the implications of what's going on? Or is it possible that in that moment of anguish, in that moment of, of abject loss that he was feeling, he couldn't feel God anymore and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, even the people sitting around him didn't understand what he was saying. It says, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. This is Matthew 27, 47. Even the people had a hard time understanding what was going on and what was happening. They thought he was crying out for help, but really he was crying out for understanding. Listen, when help doesn't come, understanding is our next prayer. We don't always know what's going on. In fact, most conspiracy theories come from us trying to understand what doesn't make a lot of sense. And friends, if you've gone through that that internet downward spiral of trying to figure out what's happening right now and where it's coming from, you've probably jumped onto a bunch of different kinds of conspiracy theories, and sometimes they give us a bit of understanding that we might lean into, I'm going to warn you and caution you not to do that. I'm, I'm going to caution you not to do that because, A, I don't think it does any good. B, some things are just crazy, right? They're just wild and they're out there. The, the things that have already been sent to me since this coronavirus situation has started, some of them are not just unreasonable. Some are absolutely wacky. So you don't need to send me anymore. But, but secondly, that doesn't do good for our soul, it's fair for us to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It feels like you've forsaken me in this. And then it's time to wait for an answer. So you see, this is when trust becomes paramount. Trust becomes the most important thing that we can have in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, that we trust who God is and what Jesus is trying to do. Now, the the people who were there, they were confused. They didn't understand what Jesus was, was, was saying and what he was trying to do. So one of them runs and fills a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, listen, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him or not. They're still in a situation of mockery, right? They're still trying to mock Jesus. They just couldn't show compassion even at the end. However, Jesus Jesus seemed to be in control a bit. At least a modicum of control is a blessing at the end. Now, I'll tell you why I know this. When when my father was dying, he died of liver cancer a few years ago. As we were moving towards the end and he was um, pretty sick with pneumonia, his lungs and his chest cavity were filling up with, with fluid and he was he was being drained, and he was very uncomfortable. Not in a lot of pain, praise God, but he was very uncomfortable. At one point, he said to me, you know, I think, I think I'd like to have this taken out. And I said, Dad, do you understand what's going to happen when you do that? And he says, and, and if you've been tuning in, you guys know this story. I've, I've mentioned it before. But he says to me, yeah, I, th- I think I know, and I, I think I'd like them to take it out. We went on to have a beautiful moment where my dad said that he wasn't afraid and that he had faith, which is kind of the last conversation we have, and I still can't think about it without, you know, choking up. But I think, I think what he had was a little bit of control at the end to decide what would happen. In Matthew 27 50, it says, Then Jesus shouted out, and he released his spirit. Jesus made the call of when he would go. This was not a cry of victory. This was a releasing of his spirit. And if you have ever thought about the breath of life that comes into us when we read the stories of Adam and Eve and how God blew life into them and they became alive, you also know that as we die, our life goes out of us. Now, we're not a group of people that believe in an immortal soul. We don't think that that's biblical from our particular faith tradition. Maybe you do but that's not something that we can find in scripture to be very clear, we think it comes from somewhere else. So we don't believe that his, 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 you know, his essence, if you will, we actually believe that when you die, you fall asleep. But he was willing to let it go and let that breath be God's again. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that because I don't think that's necessarily the point of the scripture, but it is a, you know, just a doctrinal thing that I think you should understand from us as a, as a Seventh-day Adventist community. Matthew 27, 51 continues the story. And it says, at the moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. Listen, for those of us in California, we've had kind of a bad week. And and I've had so many of my friends say, well, all we need is is an earthquake to get the trifecta. Because for us here in California, like that's always the biggest fear. I think maybe our fears are changing a little bit. But that's always kind of a big fear. and and we could preach a whole sermon on this particular concept we won't but suffice it to say this is a big deal because the, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom and from now on it means that there is no separation between God and us and that should give us some pretty significant peace listen what gives you peace in these unprecedented times What do you grab a hold of wanting, you know, to to be in control of? The news cycle seems to be out of control. It comes at us so quickly. We get so nervous and we get so anxious. I don't know if you can feel it. I feel it in my chest. I literally feel a tightening in my chest as if, man, I'm not sure I can get through this. But what do you grab a hold of to find peace? I'll tell you the first thing, what it was for us, man. My daughter was up at Walla Walla University and she wasn't supposed to come home till the end of this week. And last Sabbath after church, I'm sitting with my friend, Sam Lenore, we're at his house. And the more we talked, the more anxious I became. And I was like, finally, that's it, forget it. I I, I made some phone calls. We changed the tickets. We got her here. She came home last night. I can't tell you how excited I was for her to walk off that plane. She probably would have been fine up there, but she's home. We're whole again. You may be wrapping your arms around your family because that's the thing that's giving you peace right now. Do that. Hold them tight. And man, we may have an opportunity over the next few weeks and even few months to be with our families in ways that we haven't been with them in years. And that may change our whole family dynamic. We can rediscover what it means to Sabbath together because it might be weeks of being in isolation with one another. Man, hold on to your family. But that might not be enough. So what gives you peace in these unprecedented times? Because I'll tell you what, unprecedented times need an unprecedented faith. Unprecedented times need for us to have a faith in a God who is more powerful than we ever needed him to be before. And maybe that's the thing. We didn't need God to be that powerful when we were taking care of everything. We didn't need God to be a God that could stand in the gap, a God that could create universes when we thought we had created our own universe. We had done pretty well. The reality is, listen, things are, things are tough, but they haven't completely fallen apart. We're still getting food. We're still getting water. We're still having opportunities. Listen, we still got the internet. We're okay. It's difficult and it's hard. But, but when we find ourselves anxious, when we find ourselves not, not sure about what's gonna happen, when we are really concerned, man, stop turning to the internet. Stop turning to the news cycle. Turn to God. And find your unprecedented faith. We've not been through this before. But that doesn't mean we won't get through it. We've never experienced these things before, but it doesn't mean that we won't come through it and somehow know God better at the other side and know ourselves better and even love our families in a completely different and more powerful, more intimate way. So there's a story that's coming out of Wuhan. There's this woman who was sequestered with her family for about seven weeks, and she had been posting and been writing, obviously, a lot of negative things about what had been happening and how terrible things were. And her husband kind of challenged her, like, can you write something positive about what this has been? And so as she began to think through the positive things that had happened, she began to realize that that she was cooking differently because she was going deep into, into their pantry to find things that she hadn't cooked before. And that she didn't have to worry about shopping because food was being delivered to their house and they were able to just kind of process that. It was a little more simplistic than they had been used to, but she was, you know, being creative. She was being with her family in ways that she hadn't been before. I mean, they spent seven weeks together and so they talked and they laughed. Yeah, they had some moments, but then as spring was rolling around, she began to hear birds singing, and she realized, because it's so quiet that Wuhan had birds, she never thought birds lived in Wuhan, because of the, you know, just the the, the human, you know, collateral, and the, the cars, and the pollution, and, and she began to realize that there was a real blessing to what had just happened, and that her family was different because of it. They had grown up, and grown together, and As you read this article, you begin to realize that it's not the worst thing that's happened. Paul was in a worse situation when he writes the book of Philippians. Jesus on the cross was in a much worse situation. What we begin to realize is that unprecedented times... Need unprecedented faith and need unprecedented vantage points that we haven't necessarily had before. We have to begin to look at things in a different way. We have to be able to look from a different point of view and recognize, no, it's not the same. But when Jesus was hanging on that cross, that was not the same as the rest of his life. But he did not move away from his mission because he knew that he had accomplished what God had called him to do. He didn't say, oh, it's done, I'm out. He decided he would carry through to the very end, even not being able to see beyond the portals of the grave. That means that when he went to die for us, he truly and honestly thought it was over, at least for that moment. That should give us some incredible understanding that Jesus is willing to die for us and we have to be willing to live for him in a different way no matter how hard the times are that we will live through, no matter how much we are called to negotiate our lives in a million different ways and change them into something else. We're gonna do this, of course we're gonna do this because the God that we serve is not just the God of, of the coronavirus, He's not just the God of of when things are good. He is a God that covers it all. He created a universe. He holds it in his hand. The universe expands and contracts to the breath that he breathes. We're going to be fine because we are held well within that breast and that breath. The question we have today is, are you willing to step into unprecedented faith and change the way that you have experienced God? This may absolutely be the best thing that we, people of faith, have ever experienced. It will not be easy, but no one promised us easy. They simply promised us faithfulness of God. Let's bow our heads. Lord, whatever it is you're bringing us through, just carry us when we falter. Lord, be the God that we have always needed but not always recognized. And Lord, beyond everything else, just give us that sense of your peace that you promised us in John 14, a peace that transcends our situation and transcends even us understanding why we have peace, but give it to us. May it well up within us. May it overflow out of us. And Lord, may we constantly and consistently look to you. In your name I pray.